Hi, I'm Shannon Busta, and this is a special episode of For Her Country. On July 6th, the team at True Patriot Love Foundation and myself hosted a live chat with three of our guests from season one of the podcast. Lieutenant Colonel Eleanor Taylor, Warrant Officer Avril Jeannot Baptiste Jones, and Sergeant Leslie Blair joined me for a lively one-hour discussion about leadership, resilience, failure, and the future of the Canadian Armed Forces. I loved this chat and all of the additional insights and stories we got to hear from our guests. And our next episode of For Her Country will be out this Tuesday as usual and features my discussion with Lieutenant Navy Jen Martin. Jen is an inspirational figure who found a way to serve in Afghanistan, a landlocked nation, despite being in the Navy. I know you'll love her episode and I hope that in the meantime you enjoy this special recording of our fireside chat. Hello and welcome to our special virtual fireside chat for the For Her Country podcast. I'm Shannon Busta, the host of For Her Country, and I'll be your moderator for today's discussion. Today's chat is hosted by True Patriot Love, Canada's leading foundation supporting the military and veteran community. Thank you for joining us and thank you to McKenzie Investments for sponsoring this special event. For Her Country launched in late May as a platform to pay tribute to women in the military. The podcast profiles inspiring women from the Canadian Armed Forces and offers firsthand accounts of their journey progressing into exceptional leaders. The show is in honor of Captain Nicola Goddard, a young trailblazer and inspirational leader who was Canada's first female soldier to die in combat. She was just 26 years old. Over the next hour, we'll hear from three of our guests from season one. They're here to share even more insights, lessons, and experiences from their military careers. We have viewers from across the globe today, and we've received a ton of great questions in advance, so thank you for sending those in. You'll be hearing from some of those questions, uh, from some of those audience questions over the course of the next hour. And now, I'd like to take a moment to introduce each of our guests. Lieutenant Colonel Eleanor Taylor is a native of Antigonish, Nova Scotia. She recently completed a 25-year career as a regular force infantry officer and spent some of her career working with Special Operations Forces Command. Eleanor had multiple deployments overseas, including Kosovo in 1999, Bosnia in 2004, and Kandahar in 2010 where she led operations with soldiers from the Canadian, U.S., and Afghan armies. At that time, Eleanor was the only female to lead a NATO infantry, co- infantry combat subunit in Afghanistan. That was a mouthful. She now serves part-time as the deputy commander of the 36th Canadian Brigade Group headquarters in Halifax. She also runs Eleanor Taylor Consulting. Welcome, Eleanor. It is great to see you again. Thanks so much, Shannon. And our next guest is Warrant Officer Avril Jeannot Baptiste Jones. She was born and raised in the Caribbean island of Dominica and immigrated to Canada at a young age. She joined the Canadian Armed Forces in Winnipeg as a financial clerk and recently completed a 25-year, recently completed 25 years of regular force service. She has risen through the ranks and has held roles with a wide array of teams in communities across the country. And today, she lives in Milton, Ontario, and serves as a reservist, having recently completed a deployment to Kuwait. Welcome, Avril. We're happy to have you here. Thank you. Happy to be here. And our final guest is Sergeant Leslie Blair. She is a 13-year veteran of the Royal Canadian Air Force, where she serves as an aviation systems technician. Her skills and ability have resulted in multiple deployments with the Tactical Airlift Unit to Camp Mirage and Afghanistan. She has also served with the 424 Squadron Search and Rescue, where she participated in multiple domestic exercises. She is currently a member of the 423 Maritime Helicopter Squadron and resides in Nova Scotia. Welcome, Leslie. It's so great to have you here. No, this is awesome to be sitting beside Eleanor and Avril like this is uh, it's my pleasure to be here for sure. 
Thank you all for being with us today and for your service to our country. So these are all really impressive bios, uh, and I'd like to provide some additional context for the civilians who are listening. So Eleanor, you were the first female to lead an infantry company in a combat zone. Can you explain what this role is in the military? Sure, and uh, I think before I explain what a combat team is, it's really important to be clear about the fact that uh, there were a lot of women who were in combat operations before me in Afghanistan. I mean, the person who we are all gathered here around, Nicola, was uh, in the front lines leading as a uh, forward observation officer uh, in 2006. So, uh, so while I'm a, a pioneer of sorts, uh, certainly not the first in any way, shape, or form. But a, a combat team commander is a uh, somebody who's responsible for a company of infanteers plus all of the enablers. And what made the job so exciting uh, was not only the environment, which was exciting and dynamic, but having the opportunity to integrate all of the different parts of the Canadian Armed Forces into some of our operations. So, you know, our engineers, our tankers, uh, our folks from the Air Force, and also have the opportunity to engage uh, other nations on operations. So that was what really made it exciting for me. Thank you, Eleanor. And Avril, you were recently awarded the Joint Task Force Impact Commander's Commendation for your support of the mission Operational Effectiveness in Kuwait. Can you provide some further in insight into what you did and what the award means? Yes, uh, my position in Kuwait was uh, the J1-3, which is uh, Personnel and Operations. And I got the award for recognition by the senior leadership for dedication, going above and beyond the scope. Uh, I gave guidance to the JTFI HQ on uh, personnel uh, scheduled to deploy to Kuwait and um, deployment status and uh, on redeployment. So basically it's uh, for overall for mission, my, the mission first mentality. Thank you so much for explaining that Avril. And Leslie, uh, you are the most recent laureate of the Captain Nicola Goddard Award. Can you explain your role in the military and what this award means? Yeah, so I'm an AVN tech and that's an aviation systems technician. So basically there are four uh, maintenance trades in the Air Force and we all work together. Um, my job as a sergeant is to lead a team on the maintenance floor um, and also as a maintenance controller, I um, schedule maintenance and organize everything that kind of encompasses that scope for those four trades on the floor. Um, and also there's another part to that job and that's maintenance uh, or weapon system release. So basically I have final authority to release that aircraft to that captain um, or that aircraft captain so that he can go flying. And um, there's a lot of pride that comes with these authorizations and uh, also with being a new sergeant like myself and, and leading that maintenance team. And the second part of your question was about the award. Um, so that award was the cherry on top for what has already been a phenomenal year for me. Like I said, I just got promoted to Sergeant a year ago, um, but it's also the cherry on top for what has been a, a wonderful career. I've had so many wonderful opportunities and um, the award kind of tells me that I'm on the right track. Uh, I feel seen and heard and I also just feel like I can take on the world. Thank you for explaining that and congratulations on both your promotion and the award. I think we're gonna talk about the award a little bit more uh, uh, later in the show. So now I'd like to move on to our broader questions for the event and I'd like to start by discussing the role of diversity in the Canadian military. It was about 30 years ago that the Canadian Armed Forces removed almost all barriers that uh, limited occupations for women and that was well ahead of other nations. So I'd like to ask you each why uh, gender integration and diversity overall is so important to the Canadian Armed Forces. And Leslie, since you're up on my screen, why don't we start with you? Sure. So women make up 52% of the population. Um, that's no like new fact or anything like that. So obviously hiring women um, is, is just a, a no brainer. If you're not 
hiring women, you're missing out on half the talent pool. And it's 2020 to top it off. So if we're not being uh, visible, then we're not helping future generations with this goal. So it is so important to um, have, you know, uh, podcasts and and uh, webinars like this to showcase what women are doing so that more women feel that that's an opportunity moving forward. Um, and then um, speaking about diversity, so on a grander scale, um, we must demand equality and inclusion in everything that we do. Um, and I really do believe that the Canadian Armed Forces is actually leading the way with this stuff. Um, and people from diverse backgrounds, um, they contribute diverse ways of thinking. So it's really not only the right thing to do, but it's the smart thing to do as well. Thank you so much for that, Leslie. Avril? I, I believe gender diversity, gender integration and diversity is important because it, uh, considering different viewpoints shows the depth of your organization. Men and women, we think differently. So in order to have that, you have a winning team. Besides, it, it, uh, you will attract, the, if the, for the military to have uh, gender integration diversity, you attract more diverse applicants. Thank you for that. And Eleanor? Yeah, I think both answers were awesome. Uh, and, and I think the only thing that I'll offer uh, that might be a little different is that when I joined 25 years ago, I worked very hard not to highlight any differences that I might bring to the table. I mean, I brought myself to the table, but I didn't uh, showcase or take any uh, steps to showcase uh, anything that might be specifically gender related because, you know, we're trained to be a team. We're all part of one team. And, uh, and that was kind of part of the philosophy that I took on. And as I've grown in the organization and evolved in my thinking, I, I now feel much more at ease to, to, to kind of bring Eleanor Taylor, the woman, to the table uh, rather than, you know, just Eleanor Ta Taylor, the human being. And, and a, a lot of that has to do with how the organization has, has really welcomed that, uh, the efforts that the organization has taken to use gender-inclusive language, you know, and uh, to make sure that women very much feel welcome and, and uh, part of the team, not just as the broader team, but for who they are. Uh, and and to, to underscore the point that Leslie made about operations, the more diversity you have on operations, the greater success you will have. Mm -hmm. If you can access a large portion of the population through gender, through culture, through race, through religion, all of these things are force multipliers. And, uh, and I'm just so proud of the way we have been able to do that and have set the example internationally, uh, certainly on the gender front. I'm also so proud of our country for that. Thank you so much for all sharing your insights on that important topic. For our next uh, question, I'd like to talk about something that you all mentioned at various points in each of your podcast episodes. And that was that you were, at some point in your career, the only woman or one of very few women during your training or while you were on deployment or at various times over the course of your career. So I'd like to ask you, what kind of challenges, if any, did this create for you and how has it shaped who you are today? And Avril, we'll start with you. Hi, hi. So I personally, personally have never faced any challenges of, of being one of the few women. What I have faced is the harsh reality of being the only black person and the only black woman on deployments, courses, um, and, and so much more. Um, one example is uh, I went to my, at my uh, primary, my, not my primary, my, uh, ILP, Intermediate Leadership Qualification course. This is a course that, you know, substantiates you to be a warrant. And I came into the front of the auditorium and I looked up in the stands and there was about a hundred people. And I, I, I said to myself, wow, we're still there because there were women, but I was the only black person. And if anything that has been and, and I still face it today. I mean, the reserves are a little bit different, but in the regular force, 
it, it's, I was posted to Kingston in the mid nineties, the only black woman. And, and that, that we need to, to do something about. We absolutely do. And can you just help us understand how that has affected you as a person or shaped you as a leader? It, it's, it's made me go out into my community and be an ambassador for the Canadian forces. Nothing, you know, to do with, you know, my occupation or anything, just personal, as in to, to let the people of my community see the Canadian forces as, as a, a career of choice. Because a lot of people think, well, I'm not seeing anyone, so I'm not sure how they're going to treat me, so they stay away from it. And a lot of people watch TV and they're like, well, just, they're going to treat me bad. You know, so I, pers I made it a personal crusade to go into the community and attempt to change that one at a time. Thank you for taking that initiative. Leslie, I'd like to ask you how um, being one of few women has affected you over the course of your career. So I can't pinpoint any challenges per se, but I did get into it in my podcast about um, feeling the need to be genderless and stuff like that. And I kind of, I want to highlight the fact that we have progressed a lot. When my mother joined as a aircraft mechanic as well, um, she did 33 years of service. Um, she always told me, she's like, I had to do twice the amount of work for half the recognition. And when I joined 13 years ago, I felt like I had to do twice the amount of work for the same recognition. And now 13 years later, I feel like I'm doing twice the work, but I'm getting twice the recognition. You know, I got that amazing award this year. My career has um, been moving pretty quick and it's, it's been wonderful. So I think I wanna, I wanna preface what I'm saying um, with the fact that I think we are making progress. Um, but uh, I also don't know how things would have been different had I joined and there have been more women kind of thing, because I can't, I can't see, like, I've only worked with men to this day, you know, on the, on the hangar floor, it's um, myself, uh, female sergeant, and there is a, a female corporal on my crew. So there's two of us and we have a, a decent sized crew. So numbers wise, we haven't really progressed. Um, I did have the opportunity uh, last year to do uh, an international maintenance competition and they chose, the RCAF chose an all-female team to send to Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, so that was the very first trip that I went on that was all women. And what I will tell you is that it was very different in that we would land, you know, we, we finish our event, we would get back to the hotel, and uh, we would get ready to go out. And on a normal trip, um, we would land, um, park the aircraft, put it away, everyone would go back to the hotel room and the guys would say, okay, you have five minutes to shower and then we're meeting at, you know, whatever restaurant or whatever. So the difference between going with all women and getting that hour to get ready. Um, so just little things like that, but it's been great. I'm glad to hear things are improving. And Eleanor, would you like to, to round this off? Sure. Um, so for me, I also had a really wonderful beginning to my career and I received a great deal of support uh, both from senior NCOs that I was uh, working with, my peers and, and then senior officers. So I, I do feel like I've been very supported throughout my career. Perhaps the thing I struggled with the most was uh, not being, you know, having my own doubts about my own ability to perform in a combat environment given my gender. And while I did believe that all of that sort of uh, talk that you would hear from other nations, and sometimes from within our own nation, about whether or not women are genetically predisposed to lead in combat, to be in combat, whether will affect cohesion, or whether or not our emotions will get the better of us, or you know people won't follow us, that, that you know especially going into Kandahar but throughout my career was something that I struggled with. You know, this sort of niggling fear that maybe I'm doing something that I shouldn't be doing and I have no business doing. Um, and what has, what helped me overcome that was, was just being able to succeed in those environments and recognize that, wait a second, it's, 
you know, people respond to me as, as, as well as they do to anyone else, as long as I apply the principles of leadership that other people are applying. And that, that has given me an enormous uh, amount of confidence that I might not have had otherwise. Thank you for sharing that. And now I'd like to move on to our first audience question. And this question comes from Picton, Ontario. Given your experiences and point of views, what is the best way forward for the Canadian Armed Forces over the next 10 years? And how can Canadians support or influence this vision? And I'd like to throw this one to Avril. Okay, a, a way forward for us would be start making changes from within. One thing I'm extremely passionate about is, is as a black woman, hair. I don't have any by choice. Um, but the dress manual is something that we, that needs to be by virtue of being a black woman we are the only race of women with a different texture here now if you look at the dress manual by virtue of that we are already in violation of the dress manual our hair naturally grows thick and bulky there's a line in there it cannot be bulky so you know, we need people like us, like me on that committee to help, help iron it out, help to see it at, at, at different viewpoints rather than, you know, having other, the people that are on the dress committee don't look like me, not even one, you know. Another thing is um, our language. Um, we have to just improve on things a little bit. I see a lot of, and I hear a lot of swearing in, a, in, in everyday vocabulary, the use of profanity. You know, let's present ourselves, let's be visible so parents and, and prospective applicants can see us, you know, see us in the public and be like, you know, to their children about it and say, hey, why don't you try the military and not have it be, uh, you know, after all else fails, you can, why don't you look into the military? Help it be like, you know, right on even keel with you know the doctors and the lawyers and and, and social workers because we have all that too so yes definitely start from within and then make the changes from the outside so those inside can go out and say hey bring people in and those on the outside will say i want to be part of your organization thank you for sharing that and i mean i think we've seen in so many industries what can happen when you don't have people with diverse lived experiences helping make decisions and policy so hopefully we see some of those changes that you've recommended soon avril now i'd like to move on to discuss uh, some lessons in leadership and i'd like to start with eleanor Eleanor, in your episode, you shared an example of how you encountered failure early in your career. Can you explain to us why you think failure is sometimes really important for growth? Sure. I mean, failure is really hard, uh, and but it's where all the learning really happens. I mean, failure is where it's at. And, you know, we, uh, when we do well, when we succeed, we may have succeeded because we did the right things or by some glorious coincidence or because somebody else, you know, really did a wonderful job. But when we fail, we know we failed, right? We know we've done something wrong and something needs to get fixed. Um, and, and so failure is good from that perspective. It, it also, for me, because I had a failure early in my career, which was you know, painful and humiliating, I failed at kind of a, a very important course that an infantry officer needs before they go to battalion. Um, but what it did for me was that it also freed me a little bit because I, had, I could no longer be perfect, I'm not, not that I ever was, but I could no longer you know, strive for perfection because I'd already publicly failed. And so I was kind of free to just do my best every single day and make the best every day that I could and, and try to get these, these uh, daily wins. So uh, failure to some extent is freeing because it kind of strips you of pretense and forces you to look at the reality of the situation. 
That is so profound. And I love the failure is where it's at phrase. I'm definitely going to use that in the future, Eleanor. So thank you for that. Avril, I'd like to move on to you now and ask, um, what was most surprising to you about military life when you were first starting your career? Uh, How strong language, not necessarily uh, profanity, but how strong, firm language causes people to think differently and behave differently. Like saying, could you um, go over there and rather than instead use move and everybody moves. Another thing which is funny is when I first joined, I would see, you know, somebody, if you're meeting for a briefing or whatever it is, and somebody would walk in and they would say, good morning, and nobody would answer. And I, and, and I, I didn't say anything. I just took, oh, okay, well, you know, in the, in the islands, in the Caribbean where I'm from, when people walk in and they say, good morning, people say, good morning. But in, in the, for years, people walk in and they didn't say, and nobody said good morning back. So this morning when Eleanor said it, I smiled because I always said when I got to a position to in the inf- way I could influence people, that's something I said, hey, you know, it's, it's nice, it's polite to make your guests feel at ease when you say good morning. So yeah, those, were the, those are the two things. Thank you for sharing that. And Leslie, um, I'm curious, what has been the most fulfilling part of your military career thus far? Yeah, so the most fulfilling part for me is um, definitely like the leadership side of it and the mentorship side of it. And really in the position that I'm in now, that is uh, part of my job now. So it used to be something that I would mentor and lead as a part of my community outreach programs that I would run. I'd always bring along uh, aviators or corporals with me to help out. Um, but now, you know, it's a part of my nine to job as well. So that's definitely very fulfilling. And, and just, I'd like to stay on that topic for a moment because in, in your episode, in your podcast episode, we learn that giving back is very important to you and, and you've been involved in your community in a number of ways. And I'm curious where that drive comes from. Yeah. So I definitely remember as a child, um, you know, going along with my parents to help out with whatever they were helping out with, whether it be like a community dinner or whatever the case was. Um, So definitely that was a part of my childhood. Um, But once you start doing it, it feels really good. So uh, for me, it's kind of like a, not like it's something I crave, you know, like the feeling of, of giving back and stuff. And I would say, um, community outreach is, is a really cool opportunity, what I've learned, um, for leadership practice, because here's this, um, talking about failure, here's this no fail opportunity, because really, whether you raise uh, $4,000 or four cents, you've done a good job, right? So, um, and I'll give you an example as well. Um, I went to this uh, Canadian Women in Aviation conference and this lady got up and spoke about this program that she had launched with her daughter. And what they did was they would go to Nicaragua with a team of people and they would build houses um, for the locals. And it was beautiful. And I was like, I want to be a part of what these people are doing. So I reached out to them and I said, you know what, Um, 12 Wing, which is where I work, um, 12 Wing has some amazing people. Can you put a a trip together for us, you know, I'll find the people, we'll raise the money and uh, let's do this. And they said, sure, let's do it. So I, I found 20 people from work that were, you know, into it, wanted to go. And that was the number she gave me. She needed 20 people and we needed to raise $40,000 to uh, go on this trip and also buy the supplies and stuff. And for some reason I was like, Oh, easy peasy. We'll have, you know, a pancake breakfast or I don't know. Right. Like I thought $40,000 was going to be something that was easy to do. But what is challenging is getting 20 people to come together and commit to what it takes to raise $40,000. So um, ultimately the, the failure was that we didn't go, we didn't raise the money. Um, It actually ended up um, there was some, some stuff going on in um, 
some conflict in Nicaragua. So that ended up being the the deciding factor, but we, we ultimately just didn't raise the money. And uh, so, you know, the silver lining is the fact that we still donated um, a good chunk of change to this program so that they could take another group with them. That's a great lesson and good for you for trying to get down there. So at True Patriot Love, they share Leslie's passion for giving back and for supporting the military and veteran community. And through the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund, the foundation supports programs for service women, veteran women, and families in need. For those of us joining from around the world today, please consider donating to this important cause at forhercountry.ca. Lost my screen there. Funds will be invested into programs and services that support mental health, provide family assistance, and enable rehabilitation and recovery and assist veterans transitioning into civilian life. Thank you for considering. And so now I'd like to move on to our next audience question. And this one comes from Ottawa, Ontario. What was the single greatest professional experience that helped form your leadership style, helped you find your voice and gave you confidence as a leader? Eleanor, I'm hoping you'll take this one. Sure, Shannon, thank you for this. Um, so for me, I think, I mean, I've had a lot of great experiences, but probably the biggest one in terms of my own development was my very first deployment. So my deployment to Kosovo, which came kind of close on the heels of that failure that I talked about, um, where I was still struggling uh, Internally, I've, I tried to present confidence forward, uh, but with whether or not I was really cut out for this, and the Army decided they were going to send me as a 23-year-old to Kosovo with 30 troops who happened to be men. And the pre-deployment training for that, and then the, the operation itself, really helped transform my confidence, helped me realize that I was in the right job, that I was actually good at it. And I remember specifically there was one operation that we were preparing for. So as a platoon, we were going out, we were going to do a search uh, for some suspected terrorists in, in, uh, in Kosovo at the time. And, uh, and I had some attachments from all over. So I had some Romanian police officers and I had some Irish search uh, soldiers that had been attached to me. And when we were doing the collaborative planning, the Romanian police officer was just openly contemptuous of me. He just could not believe that there was a female platoon commander and he didn't want any part of it. Uh, and he, he was, you know, quite difficult as we tried to do a collaborative planning session. And so what I loved was the outrage of my senior NCOs who were just you know, outraged on my behalf and ready to take this guy out back and beat him within an inch of his life. And they didn't because they're professionals, but that's what they conveyed. And that loyalty uh, was really, really uh, heartwarming and, and confidence bringing to me. So yeah, it was that experience, which kind of really gave me the foundation to move forward. And I can hear in your voice how much that moment meant to you. So thank you for sharing that, that personal story with us. Thank you. So, so those who have listened to the podcast have heard a number of times how mentorship has positively impacted all three of you and our other guests. I'm curious um, to hear how you three have been able to pay this forward as mentors and positive role models for others. And I'd like to start with Avril. So uh, most recently, um, because of the pandemic, the, all the, uh, the new recruits that have been uh, sworn in from the local uh, recruiting centers, they can't go to Saint-Jean. So uh, the recruiting center, CFRC Toronto, reached out to me um, because what they did, they gave them, um, they have uh, different, the military career counselors in charge of a group so this particular recruiter has about nine and he reached out to me we did a zoom session and just to give them insights on you know everything so i explained so by the time we had gone through they couldn't they were starting to get paid 
they didn't understand what the pay statement meant. And being a HRA, Human Resources uh, Administrator, I explained the deductions and everything for them. Also, um, I go into the community and if there's opportunity, actually today is CARICOM Day, which is the Cari Caribbean community. That's what CARICOM stands for. So they have little associations where, you know, they want to, with everything going on in the world, they want to, you know, um, mentors for, for the kids, you know, hey, you know, and they get me, and I would go even before COVID and now, you know, with the phone call, go and talk to them and say, hey, you know, just consider the military because I know what it's done for me. I actually met, another thing is I actually met this young girl when she first came to Canada and we talked, she asked me what I did. I told her I was in the military and through the years I, she said she was interested and I followed her from, you know, from her, what she did. She went to um, post-secondary, she went to college. And then I told her, okay, you need to be a Canadian citizen. So when it was time, you know, I said, this is where you're going to get the book. And, you know, with the tests, I did test questions with her and she got her citizenship. She joined the Canadian forces. You know, we talked to, we talked about like everything, you know, what to expect, you know, and uh, now she's actually in and I, I feel like a proud mama. <laughs> That's amazing and congratulations to her and um, and happy CARICOM day to you and any of our listeners who may be tuning in from the Caribbean. Leslie, I'd like to pivot to you now. Are you finding ways to pay past mentorship forward? Yeah, so I think like I've been on a, a journey to understanding what that means. Um, and I, th I think of like the recent transition that I made, which um, I think as a everything up to master corporal, um, I really spend a lot of time going, oh my God, how can I help everyone? So, oh, you need a, you need to write a memo for whatever. Um, I'm really good at writing memos. I'll just, I'll do that for you. I'll help you out. You know, like, you know what I'll, you know, and I would try to, what I learned now is take opportunities from people. And I don't know if you've ever read the article about uh, monkey management or monkeys on your back kind of thing, but basically I would take problems from people and solve them. And now um, just even acknowledging that, um, as a mentor and as a leader at work, I really make an effort to take the time to sit with people and give them their problems back and the tools to help solve them themselves. So really it's become an everyday part of my life, um, mentoring and, and leading and um, trying to do it right. That's such a great example. And you know, in the moment, in the short term, it might be quicker to take some on yourself, but in the long term, you're not doing yourself or them any favors. That's right. Thank you for sharing that, Leslie. And Eleanor, do you have any thoughts on this? Right. I guess what I'd like to say first is um, I was not a good mentor to women at the beginning. I, I kind of wasn't, I, I did my best to be supportive of everybody, but I did not go out of my way to look at women's issues because I was sort of, yeah, because I was also concerned about my own integration into the organization. And so I think of an example, when we were in Kosovo back then, my first deployment, we had a woman in our company with us uh, who was a private, and we also had a medic. So there were two other women who were in our company. And uh, there was a shower timing that the previous company had set up who had no women. And we had 15 minutes every day between 7 and 7.15 to shower in a tent. And the rest of the day was open for men. And I did not make a single word about that. I, I, and I was a platoon commander. I was in a leadership position. And, uh, you know, I just sucked that up. And I expected them to suck it up because I didn't want to make a lot of noise about the fact that I was a woman. And, you know, who addressed it? The warrant officer of the woman uh, who, who, who had the private in his platoon. So warrant officer Len Murphy took care of private Brenda Hawk uh, because he recognized that this was not... Uh, suitable. And so it took me a while to find my voice as a woman and as a mentor. And, uh, and I also, you know, want to say that I have had tremendous mentors in men. You know, when I had a brush with sexual uh, harassment myself, the person I went to talk to about it was a man who made me feel heard and like the problem was somebody else and not me and that and, and, and helped me through that. 
and so I have had tremendous male mentors. But when I saw General Carignan, you know, be promoted to a general officer, a mother with four children, successful combat arms officer, respected, I realized that there was something that was kind of fired up in me to see myself in that person. And it was something that I, I had been missing and I didn't even know that I had been missing it. And so um, I now feel like it's important for me to raise my voice and speak truth about my experience, which has been a great one, um, or to perhaps fill that role for other people. Thank you for sharing that, Eleanor. And now we're moving on to our next audience question. And this one comes from Anne in St. Anne de Bellevue, Quebec. What advice would you give to your younger self? And Eleanor, why don't we stay with you for this one? Sure. I mean, for me, it's just don't be afraid to enjoy every single minute of it. Don't get yourself all stressed out about, you know, doing, you know, about, about things that you can't control, but just take the opportunities that are given to you. And there they are many and they are exciting and enjoy every minute of them. You know, just hang on for the ride and enjoy every second of it. That's such great advice and I think really works across so many industries. Avril, what about you? What advice would you give to your younger self? Don't be afraid to go. It's okay to be one of one. Don't stress the critique at all. Don't take it personal because it's all part of the building process. I would definitely reach back and tell young Avril exactly that. Thank you for sharing that. And on the topic of the building process, uh, the military is really known for building resiliency and perseverance. So I'd love to hear from you. Um, can you point to a time where you face hardship in your career and how your training helped you overcome this? And Leslie, we'll start with you. Yeah, so for me, I experienced um, some trauma a few years back and it really affected me mentally. Um, and I really didn't understand to what extent it was affecting me until I decided. So my advice would be um, just to, you know, like the airlines say, you know, put your own mask on first and self-care and, and knowing your limits are so important, especially if you want to be around to help others um, as well. So, uh, and, and also just talk about it, you know, like be willing to talk to people and don't, don't keep things bottled up. Um, and share your story. And every time you share that, a little bit of the load will be lifted. I really like that, putting your mask on first. I feel like it's so easy for people in leadership positions to put themselves last. So I think that's very good advice. Avril, what about you? There was once uh, in my career, I encountered uh, a lot of stress with, you know, someone in leadership. I could not catch a break. Everything, I was attacked personally with everything. They tried, this person tried everything to destroy me. So this happened actually two different occasions. And, um, you know, they tried at 5 a.m. And every time this person looked back, I was right behind, in, right behind them. They tried hills and push-ups and I was right there. So there was that. There was, you know, calling me names, you know, not, not so nice, referring me as not so nice names behind my back, you know, and be shocked when I suddenly appear from the side, you know, and I had to go through all of that. And, and honestly, what I did, I, there was no one I could have gone to. I talked to my husband about it. And uh, he, all we said to each other, I have to leave this one in the hands of God. And I prayed and I, I prayed and I was like, Lord, this battle is yours because there's no one here that could help me with it. Everyone is seeing the injustices and just whispering, oh, you should, this person shouldn't do this to you. Just, but nobody's speaking up. No one is. But you know what I said? And, and my training like everything else, basic, you know, in the field, you know, it's cold, it's wet. Trouble don't last forever. 
bad times don't last forever. If you refer to, to a field exercise, you're going to go home in three days to sleep in your own bed. So that cold and wet is only going to be for a time. And, and I, and because I'm a praying woman, uh, Psalm 35 says, weeping may endure in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And that's what I went by. So it's a combination of my training and, you know, just me being a believer that, you know what, God's. Thank you for sharing that. And I love how you, you turn your hardship into, it sounds like motivation too, to just be better. Yeah. And Eleanor, what, what hardships have you faced or how has your training helped you, helped you face hardships over the course of your career? Well, I think that the Canadian Armed Forces does a really good job um, training for resiliency in the moment. We, we do great work uh, prior to our deployments, you know, things like tactical breathing, visualization, goal setting, all of these things. The other thing we do, which is, is really helpful, and it, it, it saddens me because I, I just heard that story from Avril for the first time. And, and it sounds like she didn't have the support either of her chain of command or of her, you know, fellow soldiers. And that, you know, that should never happen because where I found strength was always just in the company of good friends who I had trained with. Uh, you know, those bonds are very strong and very important in propping you up in difficult times. Somebody who you can close the door with, talk to, you know, acknowledge that you're messed up from a situation. They can tell you they're messed up too, and uh, you can tell a joke and then move on. And, uh, and so I think, in my experience anyway, uh, resiliency is well trained for our operations. I did have a brush with resiliency kind of over over a lifetime. So resiliency in the moment, I think we do great at. Um, the Canadian Armed Forces is a stressful career that requires, you know, lots of moving. And, and I had my own period of time where, you know, after having moved uh, quite a few times in a few years and had some illness in the family, uh, I, I found myself really struggling with a burnout period. And, uh, and I can say that the chain of command uh, treated me you know, exactly as I would hope to be treated uh, and gave me sort of a period of respite to recover. Um, but that, you know, that doesn't always happen. Uh, in an Avril's case, it, it didn't happen. And, and I'm, I'm very sorry to hear that. Uh, but I'm, I'm, you know, happy to report that in my case, it didn't. It allowed me to continue to serve. Um, and I am happy that at least it's happening the way it should in some places. And I hope that that attitude spreads throughout the forces. And, and on the topic of resiliency, our next audience question comes from Jonathan in Toronto. And he's curious about whether or not resiliency can be taught or can be developed. Is it something that you're born with? Eleanor, why don't we start with you on this? I think we can be given great tools to manage adversity and but resiliency in in my sort of in my research is is very much associated with the environment that you are in so if you are in an environment of good leadership uh, you uh, and uh, you know you have the support of your family and your friends you can endure almost anything you can you can be subject, subjected to some of the worst adversity and find yourself bouncing back with lots more to give. And for most of my career, that's where I found myself, you know, with limitless resilience because I was well-led and with a team of people that I greatly enjoyed working with and therefore had enormous capacity because I was energized by them. But when you find yourself in an environment where you, you, know, you don't have the support of your peers or the family unit is falling apart or the chain of command is toxic, it is really difficult to retain that resilience. And you know, that's kind of what I hear that, that happened in Avril's situation. She, her environment caused her own resilience. I mean, she was able to, to overcome because both her faith in God and her training, but, uh, 
but a lesser person might not have been able to. So uh, it's 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 when that environment starts to fall apart that uh, that that we see people really struggling. So we really want to foster that positive environment. Thank you for that, Eleanor. So Captain Nicola Goddard, who is the inspiration behind our podcast, she's a Canadian military hero and widely acknowledged as a trailblazer and just an all-around exceptional leader. Leslie, this one's for you. Um, as the most recent recipient of the Captain Nicola Goddard Award, how has Nicola's story and legacy inspired you? Yeah, so I think everyone knows that uh, Captain Nicola Goddard was the first female to die in, or Canadian female to die in combat. Um, but honestly, that barely scratches the surface of what she embodies and what, it, what her legacy um, really means. And, um, you know, the, the, the words that come to me are um, leadership and strength and courage. And, and since getting the award, the people that have come forward to talk to me, um, those are the stories that they share. You know, they went to school with her or um, they went on this deployment with her, they met her here. And, um, you know, there's just, there's so much behind um, Nicola Goddard and um, she was a wonderful person and she cared about the world. And um, honestly, just having got, like having received this award, it, it, um, you know, it's something to live into for sure. I was on mute. Thank you for sharing that, Leslie. Um, I can see how much it's meant to you. And Avril, I'd like to go to you next. How has, how has Nicola's legacy inspired you? And Nicola was a, a trailblazer. She was courageous and she was an authentic leader. And for me, because of that, her, using her as an example, you know, being a trailblazer, going into my community, making a way, a path for, for the ones to come, the ones to come after me, you know, informing them, you know, just that, being courageous, not, be, being, not being afraid to, to step into your known, um, authentic leader. I will continue to be my authentic self because that's the that's the only way i know how to be because after everything is said and done and the uniform has to come off one day you have to face yourself and live with everybody else that that probably don't care that you were in the military so it's good it for me authenticity is 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 huge thank you thank you thank you for that avril and i think that's a, a tremendous way to honor Captain Nicola Goddard's legacy. And Eleanor, I'd love to, to wrap this question. Well, I mean, Nicola was an extraordinary person. And um, I met her for the very first time over the phone. Uh, she called me when I was at RMC uh, to ask about uh, whether or not she should join the military. And she had gone to the same high school that I went to in Antigonish. And we had had some of the same teachers and our parents knew each other. But Nicola and I never really, we never had the opportunity to really meet and get to know each other. I had just sort of heard of her and our paths crossed um, when she was in Afghanistan and she was killed. I remember thinking, first, of course, the terrible sadness that this had happened. And also thinking, what a beautiful gift her sacrifice has been to all of us and especially the women, because Nicola did it. She went out there and she fought a conventional battle in combat. She was loved by her troops and she died. She did everything that a soldier is asked to do, you know, and she did it with great honor. And all those people who had something to say about women in the military and whether or not they could do it and whether or not they'd succeed, you know, they were answered by Nicola and, and we all benefited from that answer. And, and for that, I will be forever grateful because I looked at her example before I deployed and I was able to draw strength from what it was she gave to us. She, she, she was remarkable. Thank you so much for that from all of you. And thank you to Nicola for tragically paying the ultimate price for our country. And, and to her family for 
sharing her story with the world because I think we all have so much to gain from her. And now for our last question, like Nicola, you have all dedicated your careers to serving Canada. And so thank you for that. Why did a role serving our country resonate with you? And how has your service shaped your perception of Canada? And I'd like to start with Avril for this one. Ah, oh, Canada. That, that gave me endless opportunities. Um, I came to Canada as a young person. I, you know, I made friends. I had opportunities to go to do different, so many different things. And uh, when I decided to join the military, it was in, in some aspect, the place I wanted, the, the place that was not the only institution, I should say, that wasn't going to check me out before they checked me in. I, it, was the, it was an equal opportunity employer. They didn't care what the color of my skin, how my hair was, none of that. If you think, you know, it was you think you have what it takes, come on, join us. We'll, in, we'll embrace you. And that's what it's been for me. So serving the military was giving back to a country that gave so much to me and continues to give to me. Thank you so much, Avril. And Leslie? Yeah, so I joined the military after um, experiencing some failure trying to do some other originally. So I was at the lowest of lows. And really, when I joined, it was, um, hey, how can I make my parents proud of me sort of thing. And uh, this crazy thing happened, add a little structure to my life and um, people telling me that they believe in me. And all of a sudden, I was super proud of myself. So that feeling has just stuck with me throughout my entire career. And, and honestly, the idea of serve Canada before self is, um, you know, there's nothing like it. There's, there's, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to do any other job. And, um, you know, when you see, like, we just had um, the, our fallen come home from the cyclone accident. And uh, when you see Canadians align the, the road with their Canadian flags and um, and you see other service members standing there saluting like there it's it's evident that that pride that I feel is exactly how um, everyone in Canada feels as well so um, there's just no better feeling um, and I'm so honored to be a part of this. Thank you Leslie and we're honored to have you here. And Eleanor, you'll have the last word on this. Well, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, when I joined the military, I didn't know that I was joining to serve. Um, but I did come from a family that taught a service before self sort of background uh, and a community that, that was the same. And so when I joined the organization, it very much felt like home. You know, it felt like a place where I belonged and the values were aligned with the values of my community. And, um, and as I grew in the organization, my sense of service also grew. And I began to be more motivated by this notion of service before self. And, uh, and it's a powerful motivator to be part of something that's bigger than yourself. And I think we take it for granted in our organization that we have this greater cause that we can get you know, behind and, and can fuel us in the, the difficult days. Um, and so while, you know, there are those who think that we give a gift to Canada, I also feel Canada gives us to serve. Thank you so much. And thank you all for your service. That concludes our questions for today. I want to extend my heartfelt thanks to Lieutenant Colonel Eleanor Taylor, Warrant Officer Avril Jeannot Baptiste Jones, and Sergeant Leslie Blair for joining us today and providing all of us with your insight and perspectives into military life and the lessons that have come from your careers. Thank you as well to our audience members at home for being part of the discussion and for submitting so many thoughtful questions. And of course, thank you to McKenzie Investments for sponsoring today's fireside chat. We hope you found the discussion insightful and engaging. I mean, I have learned so much. I'll never forget Eleanor's phrase, failure is where it's at. I think that should be a bumper sticker 
Uh, we've heard about so much about the benefits to everyone when you put yourself, when you put service before self, and, and just how meaningful giving back can be. So thank you all for your insights. As a reminder, please help support the Captain Nicola Goddard Fund, which assists service women, veteran women, and their families. Your donation will be invested into programs and services that support mental health, provide family assistance, enable rehabilitation and recovery, and assist veteran women transitioning to civilian life. You can donate at foryourcountry.ca. And tomorrow, I am very excited to announce that we begin season two of For Her Country, where we will meet another six exceptional women leaders in the Canadian Armed Forces. We kick the season off tomorrow with Anne Reifenstein, who was one of Canada's very first women to enter the forces in a combat role and has some crazy stories um, and really just amazing lessons. So I hope you tune in. And I'm thrilled to announce that Dr. Bonnie Henry, Provincial Health Officer for BC, is our guest for episode seven. Dr. Henry served as a medical officer in the Royal Canadian Navy for a decade. And later in the season, we'll hear from world-class athlete and Canadian Armed Forces Able Seaman, Yvette Yong, retired Master Corporal Natalie Forcier, retired Captain Marianne Barber, and Lieutenant Jen Martin. Be sure to tune in every Tuesday, wherever you listen to podcasts, on True Patriot Love's YouTube channel or at forhercountry.ca. Thank you once again and have a great day.